Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, Chris Wesley, with a special announcement before we start this episode, episode 142 of the Church Podcast. Uh, this was such a great conversation that it took a long time, and John and I decided to cut it into two parts. So this is part one of reimagining formation in a COVID world. Uh, we hope that you guys enjoy it. Uh, the second part of this will be released uh, the following week. Uh, unless you're listening to this way into the future, which means you just got to forward to the next episode. But anyway, without any further wait, here's episode 142 of the Church Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I'm your co-host, Chris Wesley, and I'm joined by John Ronaldo. John, how's it going? It's good. It's good. Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're busy innovating, you know, that it's been kind of fun, Chris. I tell you, we at Paris Success Group have really just trying to say, okay, uh, you know, we we're not able to do as much face-to-face -face stuff. And I tell you, I'm, I am actually super energized by just the creative juices that are flowing, not only within our team at Paris Success Group, but the different conversations I'm having with folks across the country. Uh, I just had a conversation with some folks in the Diocese of Reno yesterday and, and some other places. Um, I think people are maybe beginning to settle into, okay, this is going to be a while. And so they're starting to really continue to get more creative in terms of what fall looks like. So I am, I'm actually been energized by some of the conversations I've been having over the past week. So that's where I'm at. And I just love it that people are like thinking out of the box and getting creative and getting innovative. And, and that brings me great joy because that's, I think what the church needs today. So that's where, that's where I'm feeling today. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. You know, it, it really is that season of innovation and um, it's good to hear, at least I'm hearing it and I hope other people hear the, <clears throat> the excitement and joy in your voice because I've also heard people say like, oh my gosh, it's that time of year where this is going to last a little bit longer and they're just frozen. They're bugging out. They're like not sure how to move forward. And, uh, and you know, it, it, it's interesting because um, there are people who feel that no matter what's going on, even if there isn't a, a pandemic and the pandemic only accelerates that, uh, that, that feeling and that, that thought. Um, but I'm like you, I'm, I'm so excited for, to see what it comes to fruition um, over the next couple of weeks and months in ministry, um, you know, and uh, um, uh, there are a couple of ideas and, and things that I'm learning about that I just can't wait to apply. And I think this is going to be, you know, this might sound weird. People might say I'm crazy, but this is going to be a fun year. This is going to be a fun year in, in trying to do ministry. And already some of the things that we've, we tinkered with this summer, which aren't exactly out of the box, mind blowing ideas, have been so fruitful and fun. And so um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, building on some of that momentum and, and heading into the fall. But, you know, like, let's, let's, before we talk about exactly the fall and, and, you know, uh, and, and that's something we want everyone who's listening, we want to talk about the fall. We want to talk about how to get ready for, and, and I'm putting air quotes around the fall because uh, really we're talking about, you know, how do we address that traditional time of year where we kick things off? Um, and I'll address that in a second. But, you know, let's talk about, um, you know, some of the ideas of innovation that you're currently seeing, that I'm currently seeing, that maybe apply to the fall, maybe don't, but um, have got you motivated and going. So what are some of the things you're, you're hearing from parishes or groups that you're working mm -hmm. with or collaborating with? Yeah, I think for, first, for the first 
for the first part, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here, but I think we've been collectively holding our breath, Chris, for like the past three months, like what's going to happen, right? You know, and, and I think that collective holding breath is kind of that wait and see before we plan too much, right? You know, and I think people are starting to exhale saying, okay, this isn't going to look like fall 2019, right? You know, and, and so I think what that's, what that's triggering in people's minds is like, okay, let's, let's get, let's, let's, let's throw everything out and let's start looking differently at things. And I think that's been a joy to watch, you know, and kind of see that, okay, we're there, right? And, you know, we're recording this in mid-July, right? And, and, you know, and, and usually by now, a lot of folks, probably yourself, Chris, would have kind of your fall stuff planned, right? You know, for the most part, you know, it's like you kind of have the schedule, your registrations have started, you know, and all those types of things. And I think a lot of us have held off on that because it's like we're holding our breath to kind of see what's going to happen in the fall. It's becoming very clear that, you know, depending on where you're at in the country, this is going to look a little bit different. But I think what's been fun, Chris, is kind of picking off our conversation that we had last week is this idea that uh, in terms of the new director for catechesis, really focusing on this idea that the classroom model, right, the school model is an obstacle to effective evangelizing catechesis. That now, I think it's a perfect opportunity because what the Vatican is saying with the new directory and the, our COVID reality doesn't allow us to do an old classroom school model for the most part. I mean, sure, we could probably figure it out with social distancing and masks and stuff like that, right? But, but I think you've got this great uh, connection between, okay, COVID, and here's what the Vatican's saying. It's like, cool, let's go. It's like all, all, all bets are off, and let's get really creative. But I think people have, have been slow to move forward, Chris, because they're just not sure, right? Like, they're not sure what is this going to look like. Uh, and part of that is because we were we can get a little stuck in our old way of being. That's fine. That's normal. Okay. We, but we can't be stuck in that anymore. Now's the time to start thinking. We have to continue to make sure that the church continues to be relevant in the lives of our parishioners and the lives of society. Because let's be honest, it's still relevant. Now, people who have been gone from church for four months probably in their own lives feel that it's less relevant today than it was four months ago. And there's some truth to that, right? Because we just haven't been going to mass. We haven't been involved in parish events and whatnot. And so we have to continue to say church is still relevant for lots of different reasons. And, and we come back to our own story there with that. But, but, but here's where I've been having a lot of fun with folks is, is oftentimes people really outsource their curriculum. What do I mean by that? I'm using curriculum in, in air quotes here. I, I love how we always do that, Chris, and no one can see our video, right? You know, the, the, meaning we go to a book, we go to a publisher, we go to a video, we go to wherever else it's out there to help shape our, our curriculum. Look, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? But where I've seen some innovation, Chris, is, is parishes being willing to create their own innovation and create their own model of, of what it is that we are going to be doing this year. Now, here are a couple truths that I'm seeing, right? Is we know we're not doing the classroom model. And then the other question is how do we leverage the parents as the primary catechist because we're not gonna be able to gather them face-to-face -face as often. So how do we, the shift in thinking is how do we support the parents in whatever faith formation that we are providing? 
we haven't had to do that in the past, although maybe our church documents have been telling us we should. Now we're really forced to. So how can we trust and support and empower our parents to do it? That's the innovation that I'm beginning to see, Chris, is, is that connection with parents in a way that we weren't connected with them before. Yeah, um, I mean, th those are some great points, and, and I agree. It's uh, a lot of questions are being brought up, right, about content, about curriculum, you know, and, and, and things like that. And, um, you know, you mentioned how, right, COVID is preventing us from doing the traditional model. The Vatican is encouraging us to go away from the traditional model. And the, really the big challenge then it comes down to is ourselves, right? We become the biggest obstacle to this because um, what was comfortable uh, is no longer a viable option. And, and the church isn't the only institution struggling with this, right? We see this happening in the school system, the university system. We see this, you know, um, with businesses and everything like that, uh, that we really are in a situation where we're not only being forced, but also encouraged to think differently. And, um, you know, as, as we're getting ready for the fall in, in, in the parish that I work at, you know, I, I'm really encouraged because uh, we as a team have really come together to say like, okay, we know that this year is going to be different. So um, let's not even like, not that we want to say, well, yeah, the old ways are no longer an option. The old ways are just no longer an option. And we've even said, you know, if uh, COVID were to disappear tomorrow and everything, you know, everyone could be healthy and walk around without the fear of catching that, that we would still change the way that we do it. Because one of the things that this pandemic has revealed is that things needed to change anyway. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I shared this link with uh, John. Um, it's an interview with Carrie Newhoff from uh, the Thrive Conference. Um, and uh, actually, uh, you, anyone can... Um, you know, uh, uh, check check out this video because uh, the Thrive Conference has a, a free access, and, and so that video is free. But you know, uh, there, there's a whole bunch of things that he says in this. But um, one thing that really stuck out was this need for uh, you know churches to really start investing in digital media, um, in, in churches to really start thinking differently and outside the box, and and um, and how they communicate with people, and and not to worry about doing it at a professional uh, or perfectionist level, right? To do it authentic, to do it, even if, it, if there's mess ups and things like that. And so, you know, I think, um, and, and if we have to repeat it like over and over again uh, for our listeners or for anybody, I think what's important is like, don't worry about, you know, messing up this fall <laughs> by being innovative. Don't worry about making mistakes because you take a chance or a risk. The worst mistake you can make is by doing a nothing or be trying to force old ways into, you know, it's the, it's, it, it's what we, uh, uh, I forget the scriptural reference, but trying to force, you know, new wine into old wineskins, right? So it's, uh, you just can't do it. So don't try to do it. Try to be innovative, inventive. And uh, yeah, through the, this podcast, uh, hopefully we can give you guys a couple of tips, a couple of tangible examples um, of how that, uh, how that looks. I know John's going to share some examples he's coming across and, and I'll share a, a lot of what we're doing at my parish or, or thinking about doing, even if we haven't decided on it a hundred percent. So let's, let's get into this. Let's roll up our sleeves, uh, bust out your notebooks and, and let's get started. <laughs> there you go. Look, you, and we've seen it across the board, every business, every organization, if it's going to be successful, through this pandemic, they've had to change their models. It, it, you, mm -hmm. If the ones that are choosing not to change the model, 
they are literally going to be done, right? You know, and we've already seen that. We've seen bankruptcies in the for-profit world and, and, uh, and we're, we're seeing even in the Catholic world, we're seeing Catholic schools close, right? I think we're going to see Catholic parishes close out of this. Like I just, you know, just to be a little bit Debbie down here for a moment, there, that reality is there. This is why we have to do it though. This is the urgency, right? Because if we have a message to share that's so important, we need to pivot. We need to change how we do it so that we stay relevant in the lives of the individuals in, around us, our parishioners, and share the good news of Christ. That will always be relevant. But if we refuse to change how we do that, then, then we're done. Then we might as well be done. Like, let's close the doors of the church now. And, and that, I truly feel that, right? And I'm not saying anything that our previous popes haven't said. You know, it was out of Vatican II. We got to read the signs of the time. Pope John Paul II said, we don't change our content, but we change our methodology, the way we go about it. Well, Pope Francis is saying it too, right, with this new directory. So I'm not saying anything. This is not John Ronaldo's opinion. This is the church saying we got to do this. Okay. That's my last soapbox. All right, Chris, let's get down into detail. Chris is like, come on, let's get into this. I, I love I love John's soapboxes because, <laughs> I mean, your passion is is inspiring. So, but I mean, uh, yeah, let, let's jump into this. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so a couple things. One, uh, in Marathon Youth Ministry, we um, are wrapping up a master class that we did on vision, right? And um, it's interesting where... Uh, um, you know, I've heard a lot about, you know, don't worry about long-term planning. I still think that um, if you don't know what your parish's vision is, you're going to struggle with long-term or short-term planning. So, uh, you know, one of the things I've advised clients and, and we've even done ourselves at our parish is like, what's our vision? What, what are we here to accomplish? What has God called us to do, right? And if there's a clear understanding of what that vision is, then you can share that with other people. And so then when you start putting these like outside the box ideas together, people aren't going to scoff at them because they re remember that big vision comes with big plans and comes with even big risks, you know? So um, if you have not revisited your vision um, as a parish, then it, now is the time to do that. And I'm not talking about go take a retreat and spend, you know, the next six weeks hashing out the vision. I'm just saying like, sit down. And even if it's a two paragraph vision statement, at least like sit down and say like, okay, what are we exactly trying to accomplish? We can massage this into a better statement a little bit later, but like, let's remember why we're here, what we're doing and why we're meant to do what we're meant to do. And if you don't have a vision statement, then just look at the church's vision statement, right? To go and make disciples, to love God, love others and make disciples, right? It's pretty simple as that. But, um, you know, and I know I might be overstating the obvious, but it's amazing how we forget that, right? Because if we remember that, then we wouldn't care about, what book curriculum we were picking or what program or whether people met on campus or not, that wouldn't be necessarily a, as much of a concern. So revisit the vision. Yep. Um, yeah. So after you revisit the vision, um, I think the next thing to do is to say, okay, like, um, you know, take account of like, what are things that you know are definite, right? Like what are things that you can definitely do that you, you know about? So you know, uh, one thing that our church has sat down is we know we can stream, right? We are going to stream the mass. Um, and uh, not only that, but we're going to be able to stream other things because we've been able to do that over the summer. So when it comes to like catechesis, and, and I'll keep myself in, in, in the catechetical lane, especially with youth ministry, um, but I think a lot of this is applicable to other areas, is we, we've decided that you know, let's just pretend that um, 
let's just pretend that the we're not going to be able to meet on campus at all this fall all right and, and there's a couple of reasons to that right john um so we have a school building um on our campus which we use in youth ministry or we have used in youth ministry the school wants to open up this fall but the school also needs to make sure that they have a certain setup for the classrooms so you know, I have to make a determination. All right, if I bring everyone on campus, am I going to have enough people to help us wipe down, rearrange everything so that when school is back on session on Monday, because we meet on Sundays, am I going to have the crew to do that? And with the way we've left things in the fall, the answer is no, right? The answer is just a blatant no. We're not going to be able to do that. And um, and not only that, but, you know, for, for us, we only use the building once a week where the school is there five days a week. And that's just too much work for the rewards that will bring. So um, part of us is like, all right, you know what? School building, that's off, you know, that's off, off limits. Um, are there area, other areas of the campus that we can meet? Sure. Are they, uh, you know, suitable for the amount of kids that we have? No, they're not, you know? So like right now we're taking into account that, okay, so campus is not available unless we bring kids together in the sanctuary you know, and do an adoration night, you know, things like that. We can do that, but for regular catechesis, we can't do that. So then the next option is, well, what are like other things that we can do? Can we meet in homes? And, um, you know, uh, like right now, what I'm seeing with a lot of our students and a lot of our community is that, you know, friends are coming over, you know, people are hanging out, um, but you know what? It's all in neighborhood groups, right? Um, but there are some parents who are okay with their kids, in, at least in teenage world, right, having some of their teenage friends over because there's a little bit of contact tracing and, and knowing that I know your kids are only playing with your kids and, and, and everything like that. So homes are a little bit of an option, right? Um, and, and so the more that we started to explore meeting off campus, the more we realized, we realized that we had more potential, right, to meet with that. And so uh, we started conversations with a couple of our leaders and a couple of parents um, or, uh, you know, homeowners and said, would you be willing and capable to host one or two small groups a week? Um, and people start saying, yeah. And actually people were like, you know what? I, I feel safe about my house and I don't mind bringing in other people into my house. And, you know, we've got a backyard so we can meet outside and, and everything like that. So we're now exploring the possibility of, um, in-home small groups, right? So let's, just go back to like let's say COVID disappears tomorrow right we'll have a model that where people can still meet in homes if COVID is where it is currently now we still have a model where people can meet in homes if it gets worse then what we're looking at is okay let's convert them back to those zoom groups um and, and, and granted like uh we're learning that a lot of our high school students more so than our middle school students are burnt out on zoom but I'll tell you what, like jumping on Zoom with five or six people you know and care about is a lot different than jumping on Zoom with, um, you know, 20 people that for a classroom setting and everything. And, and, and what that tells us is not only, okay, virtual can and, and can't work, but what, when it works, it's because there's an established relationship. So what's telling us too is not only do we have to find small groups in homes, but now we have to train our leaders, strongly emphasize with our leaders, the relational aspect of ministry, right? So training of our catechists or our small group leaders on relational, relational. In fact, we might not even talk to them about content, <laughs> you know, until like 
uh, a little bit later down the road because if they don't have the relationships, then it, it doesn't matter how good the content is. It's not going to get into their hands. So I love where you're going with this because, you know, you are creating a model that's relationally focused, that's small group focused and can pivot easily to back online if it needs to. Right. You know, and so you've got the face to face interaction of, of small group or, and you could do it on Zoom, which you're right. A large group Zoom meeting is overwhelming, but small groups much easier. I particularly love that. And the whole content piece, this is what I've been really pushing. It's like the only thing our catechists need to really need to know is their own story of faith. I can teach them everything else, right? We can teach you the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit later or the Ten Commandments or whatever, right? We have that's not as important as their own faith journey. And if we can help catechists and parents, by the way, realize that their story is really all they need, the bar to being a quote-unquote catechist is not that high. That sounds bad, but it's not that high because it's not about what you know, right? It's about your story. It's about your relationship with God. That's all. The bar to being a catechist is to be a baptized Catholic. That's the bar, right? But sometimes I think in church we've created like – oh, I don't know if I could be a catechist because I have to know all this stuff, which is why we default, by the way, to books. You know, it's like, well, just teach the books and it's fine. And look, I'm not poo-pooing books. Like there's a place for that. So I love that because it's small group focused. It can pivot quickly. You're training catechists to be, to know their story, right? And to be relational. And here's the other thing. There are a lot of parishes, Chris, that are really nervous about doing ministry in homes because of all the safe environment stuff. Okay, I understand that. But folks, we need to get past that because this is, we know, we, we've seen the positive effects of in-home small groups, whether it's adults, whether it's youth, whatever it is, is positive. So are there precautions that we have to take? Yes, there are precautions, safe environment, you know, go through the virtues training, fingerprint, all that stuff. Yes, we need to do all of that, right? We need to do home inspections, quote unquote, just to visit, but it is possible. Okay, so don't tell me that your diocese is saying, no, you can't do that. No, that's not what's really being told. It's just we have to be willing to take the steps to make sure that the homes are safe. And by the way, most of our homes are safe. So it's not that big of an issue. The diocese is not telling you you can't do that. And if they are, well, then that's a different conversation. But it's our willingness to move in that direction. Right. And, 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 and the diocese becomes a convenient scapegoat. <laughs> to say, oh yeah, we can't do that. Well, not really. Okay, sorry, I had to go there. But there is a ton of resistance in doing things in homes. I don't understand it. Yes, you put a couple steps in place, a couple precautions, and I think you're good. But I love where you guys are going with this model, Chris. I love it. Well, John, the you know, it's funny because a couple of years ago um, when I started at St. Joe's, I like started to uh, broached the subject with the diocese and, and was just talking with a couple of people about it. And I think the, the, the overall fear is that it's, it feels messy, you know, to, to organize because once you go in homes, you're going multiple nights, multiple times, multiple locations where when you're at church, it's all in one place. Right. And one person can be held accountable for overseeing, you know, a lot of uh, different areas. So there is trust. Right. Um, but we've seen, it doesn't matter if you're on campus or off campus, unfortunately, tragedy happens, right? Uh, things happen. Homes are safe, you know, uh, just as much as the campus can be safe. 
Um, and, and so it really is being strategic and having a conversation about it. The other thing that um, I, I didn't mention before is, you know, we're, lit, we're creating expectations for a host home. A host home isn't necessarily the home of a leader. You know, um, it could be a home of a parent of a kid in the small group. But what we're going to be asking the host home leaders to do is to welcome parents to be there as well. So like host home leaders could almost be small group leaders of themselves of the parents of those teens. And we know that's going to be true, especially for middle school students, right? If I have a sixth grader going in, you know, I don't know if I'm comfortable dropping him off at some person's house, but um, you know what, like maybe if I know I'm welcome to kind of hang out for the first, you know, 20 minutes or whatnot, or even the hour in the kitchen um, uh, while they meet in the living room, that's awesome. I get to know the parents. And so all of a sudden what we're doing in the small groups is we're not just bonding parents with the small group leaders, but bonding parents with parents as well and strengthening the community there. So, I mean, like when we look at the risk, uh, you know, uh, risk the, reward. The benefits for, yeah, risk versus reward. I mean, the rewards are just huge, right? Yes. Yes. And then here's the other part. Here's the other part. As one person on staff as a youth minister, right? You're building up a structure that where the youth ministry can go seven days a week and you don't have to work seven evenings a week because you've created this infrastructure that can grow on that and, and systems along those lines. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so again, it, it's, it's identifying these host homes. And uh, here's the other thing too, even though we looked at how many small groups we had this past year and we set a goal for you know, the ideal amount of small groups, we know that number is gonna shrink because not everyone's gonna be able to meet on different nights and different homes and, and everything like that. We know that certain things, and I'll address that in a second. So uh, we have a, a goal set for how many host homes we want. We have a goal set for how many groups we want in those, um, in those um, host homes. And the other thing is uh, we have a goal for that for the fall, but we also have a goal for increasing that in January and a goal for increasing that next year around this time. So that's the other thing is this is not just a let's get to the finish line and set it and forget it, but this is like a growing culture that we're trying to create. And I think that's important to think about as well.